0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder, and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing magazine, Jamie Bogner. My guest on the podcast today is Jeremy Wertis of Triple Crossing Beer. In Richmond, Virginia. Um, If you're a reader of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, you might uh, recognize them from our IPA issue where their all-neon-like IPA scored an incredibly high score, and that one kind of caught me uh, off guard. I wasn't as familiar with the brewery as I should have been, and that caused me to to do some digging. And uh, here we are in, in Richmond, Virginia, talking with Jeremy. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Um tell me a little
0: bit give me a little you know a couple minute uh, background arc on Triple Crossing uh, your your history in a nutshell.
1: Sure. Um you know I've been uh, like a lot of guys I think in the industry right now a longtime time brewer, um who probably got told incorrectly that their beers were so good they should sell them to people. Um
0: <laughs> incorrectly.
1: What yeah happened. I mean you know it's so hard to know where you yeah. really match up unless you've done a lot of legwork um on checking those things out um through like vast tasting panels or or people you really trust in the industry of which I had none of that. So yeah, yeah. um it's just a it can often be misleading, but it also gives you some hope that maybe you can make something like that fly. Um you, you know, I I, mean, I I know you say that and I and I hear this all the time. Well I, I should have known better
0: or you yeah. know people told me my beer was good. Um what really matters, I think, in that question is not that you make a great beer as a home brewer, but that you have the mentality uh, to know how to improve as yeah. a brewer yeah. as you get into that commercial world. Because yeah. certainly it's it's great to know what you're doing from the outset, but no one, not a single person, even folks with extensive you know commercial brewing experience, they still don't know exactly what they're doing when they launch a new brewery. For because sure. Every, you know, you're creating a whole set of new variables yeah. and you're having to solve those. And so that mentality of understanding. Understanding how to solve the problem might be a more important, um, and then having a palate that understands yeah. and, uh, understands how to listen and learn from fellow brewers to see where things are going. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. No, but that might no. be my perspective. No, I that.
1: guess. Ultimately, my point is just a terrible way to go about opening a brewery okay. when you've never um, had any sort of commercial experience sure, before. Sure. Um, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think a lot. A lot of us, um, you know, get very lucky with it, and, and that's great. But to go into that with uh, knowing what I know now, um, that it's super dicey. Right, um, right. So we we uh, you know kind of recognized uh, two other business partners, um, Adam Wooster and Scott Jones. Yeah. Um, we kind of recognized that with the law change, um, the SB 604 bill that had gotten passed um, several years back, you could have a tasting room and serve your beer on site um, without the food component. And uh, that just seemed like if we were gonna do something that would be sort of like an incubator way to start it, start doing it, and, right. and to do it as right and as good as we possibly could.
0: And that bill seems to be the thing that kickstarted a lot of breweries for sure, without yeah. question. It just I think um, that was the one that made Hardywood Park kind of possible, and uh, yeah, and, and, and to their, those
1: guys' credit, they helped spearhead a lot of that, yeah. and they opened before that too. And I think they, you know, they I think they kind of had some faith that maybe it was going to turn around. Yeah, um, and, and and you know, everyone's got them to thank in some degree for that for sure. Mm. So for us, it was just, you know, we recognized that like the, the brewers that were in town at the time weren't focusing on hoppy beer pretty much in in, in any way. It was just, you know, yeah. the scene as it is now is really in its infancy at the time. Um, and I thought that was something we could do on a small scale, do it right, um, not package beer to start with because that was something that really made me nervous and still does to this day, despite the, that we're canning now. But um just didn't want to bite off any more than we could really chew at the time yeah. um, and thought that we could control it by... You know, a small system, seven barrels, um, put the batches on. If something was wrong, it would – if something was wrong, it would all be, um, you know, in-house. We could control it. We could pull it back. Um, And it just made sense to try and do it on the smaller scale for us. So that was our focus when we opened. Um, And it still is to this day. Um, Hoppy Beer is just – one of those things that you constantly keep chipping away at.
0: When we were talking before the podcast, uh, you made an interesting point that I, I thought was good. Um, you, when you launched that, uh, that seven barrel brew pub uh, were very deliberate and intentional about not packaging beer Yeah. Uh, about only surfing it off of your tap Yeah. Um, because you weren't confident in the beer that you made that it, that if it had been packaged, that it could stand up right? Uh, you know, to that kind of thing and, and taste the way that you intended it to.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, without the – you know, we've got um, a C-Box from Anton Parr, one of the dissolved oxygen meters, one of the higher end dissolved oxygen meters, coming to us here shortly because we're canning a lot more now. Like, without mm. equipment like that to know that each vessel that beer is going into, that it's in its best possible condition, that's just a variable we weren't really willing to go with. You know, we didn't want to just risk it on that. We really wanted them – um to be fresh vibrant and also have the community feedback side of what people tell you yeah. what they like and what they don't you can actively see by looking at sight glasses from serving tanks what sells and what's not working um it just gives you another way to, and we kept the batches small too which is also nice to be able to rotate out constantly yeah um so it was all of those things rolled into one is why we went that way
0: you know when you launched which was i guess 2014 correct
1: yeah, yeah. um
0: yeah The beer world was a little different then.
1: You know, it seems
0: crazy to say about four years ago, but four years ago, there were at least 4,000 fewer breweries in the country. Maybe 3,500 fewer breweries in the country. And, you know, probably, what, 10 fewer here, even in Richmond. Yeah. That may have afforded you a little bit of a runway to kind of
1: get up to speed. I think it did, for sure. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think at that time, you know, people, we were feeling ourselves out at the time. And other people were feeling out what beer was and what the Richmond beer scene was at the time. I mean, it was no secret that you know the IPA we opened up with was the fastest seller I mean that's just been I guess since time memoriam these days that Hoppy beers are going to be sure you know the best um, That was that way back then, but okay um, and that that same brand we still do make today, and it hasn't changed so much um, other than the fact that you know an overall yeast change to our entire profile happened really early on with us hmm. Um,
0: what do you mean by that, a yeast change early on?
1: Yeah, so we'd started making these beers. Um, you know, we really wanted to, um, the, some of the earlier uh, iterations of uh, Union Jack from Firestone were mm-hmm. a big influence on our IPA side. And I think, honestly, it probably, you know, a lot of New England IPA, believe it or not, I think, um, despite the clarity issue, um, you know, English Ale Strain, uh, Tail and Dry Hopping, uh, yada, yada. I mean, you name it. There's a lot of factors that that beer is almost an archetype for what, how a lot of those, you know, the newer beers are made You today. are
0: crediting Firestone Walker <laughs> Union Jack with being an inspiration for hazy
1: New England style IPA. Uh, maybe it's a stretch, but hey, I don't, no? I don't, I don't think it's unfair. <laughs> um, that and that beer is still great, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. um, yeah, it just, so we, we went to, um, you know, a Fuller's type ale strain to start and, um, they just, we were having attenuation problems, and we couldn't get them the way we wanted them to. And, yeah. Um, so, you know, we kind of quickly like, look, we're gonna focus on hoppy beers, we should just make these things, you know, with California alias. yeast. let's give it a shot and see what happens. And um, we just, I wasn't happy with them. I just don't, for hoppy beers, I what just... What year was this? Uh, 2014, right oh, into 15, wow, probably, okay. yeah. Okay. Um, just weren't super thrilled with them. Yeah. Um, just not what I wanted. I, and I love beers made with that strain, for sure. But it's just like, for what I wanted, I thought that we'd gotten something with the ester profile from some of those British strains. So we went back to the drawing board with it and trial with other
0: beers that you were drinking at the time that, uh, that kind of evidenced what that might, might taste like
1: on the, the English side yeah. or, um, who else was making those? Oh, Ithaca flower power. Yeah. Um, that's rumored to be a pretty venerable, uh, high flocking British strain. Mm. Um, Bell's Two-Hearted is supposedly an American ale variant that was once a British strain. Mm-hmm. Um, just, they offered something a little bit more than just straight cleanliness. I thought right, you could get right. another component out of that. And I just didn't want to abandon it. I really wanted it to work. So we um, went back to the drawing board and tried, tried several, almost probably all of them, um, until we kind of settled in on the one we have now. Um, they caused some alarm at first. Because, what do you use now? Um, it's, it's an English yeah. variant. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an English variant for sure. Fair it's enough. a popular one that yeah. um, probably wouldn't be too hard to figure out, okay. um, but it is English in, in, in origin. Yeah. Um, so that, um, you know, it just, it, they were turning out hazy, and we, yeah. I wasn't necessarily all that freaked out about it, but we were biofining some early to try and see mm. if maybe we could. But then it just felt like, they we were deadening them in some way yeah it just didn't have that same raw ripping character when they were fresh and young and i I really liked that about that um and then i figured you know what? we'll just put them on we'll see if anyone says anything Uh, we were that fearful about it um you know and it just no one said anything they were fine (laughs) with it it just Hmm. yeah richmond just took right to it and you know um And then, you know, definitely other brewers, you know, in the Northeast were making these beers too. This wasn't an archetype or anything like that. It's like we uh, invented fire here. But I do think that it was really great to watch, um, you know, our, our local community just like get behind what these beers are and not freak out about the fact that they didn't look like what they're used to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you know, the typical story for folks that are brewing hazy IPA today was yeah that that kind of early to mid to late 2015 trying to reverse engineer your you know Trillium and Treehouse beers yeah but it sounds like that happened a little bit earlier for you and you weren't necessarily you know trying to model them after something. no but,
1: no it really wasn't um, it just it, they just took on their own direction with these uh, with these other yeasts and it became. Yeah. Uh, and we're still really heavily, you know, like our our grists are almost every hoppy beer we make is two-row and malted wheat. Um, we don't use, we're, we're pretty simple on that. And if they've yeah. stayed that way, it hasn't really changed But so much. Does
0: that have anything to do with your water? Um, you know, what kind of water do you have here in it's Richmond? It's
1: really, really soft brewing water. Interesting, um, okay. Yeah, the uh, it's it, the parts per million doesn't change too much. Calcium's right at 30. Sulfate's super low. Yeah. 18 to 20, give or take. And chloride's almost right around there, too. So. Mm-hmm. We pretty much it's almost distilled um wow. it's, it's very it's close enough to it we, we do need to add if we want to minerals back into our water hmm. we get it checked quarterly and it doesn't fluctuate but so much yeah. that we found um we're on the end of the line down here in our at our fulton production site um and the stone guys are cool enough to send numbers over sometimes too so then i can avoid paying for the testing so
0: now that you bring that up that's an interesting question you know so you guys you know opened up this facility in
1: 2016 correct
0: and stone has recently opened up i guess within the last year yeah,
1: yeah. 18 months yeah maybe they were just yeah they were yeah just about done. yeah
0: okay opened up uh their much significantly larger Absolutely. production facility yeah, exactly. um about three minutes away according to apple maps yeah uh, that i just used yeah uh, in between the two yeah um yeah what's it like having uh uh a very, very large big brother <laughs> down the road like that.
1: Yeah. Um, they've they've been real good to us. Um, yeah. There's been, yeah, they were uh, early adopters of our tasting room for sure. Mm-hmm. They showed up on our first canning day. Um, yeah, they've been, uh, there's a story. Um, we had a din fitting on one of the racking arms of our tanks that just wasn't going to fit anymore that day, and yeah. we were going to knock out into it. So we were about three hours away from having to either dump it, well, definitely from dumping it. Um, yeah. So uh talked to our you know, friend Jim over there, um, runs our filtration stuff, and he um, got us to fit in because they have those lying around because yeah. I mean, we should have them lying around. But um, as you know, brewing goes, you often don't have exactly what you need right then. Um, and then if that didn't work, they offered to send their in-house stainless uh, sanitary welder to hack it off and weld a new one on before we knocked out. I mean, if that's not neighborly, I don't really know what it is. You know, they were, they've been, yeah, they've been real good to us.
0: That's that's an interesting story. They caught a lot of heat when they moved into, you know, when the word arose that they were going to move into Richmond. Yeah. And, uh, you know, certain folks were raising their eyebrows that this big, uh, you yeah. know, I want not want to call them a behemoth because it's no. still not an anheuser Bush. you know, yeah. scale, but.
1: No, and I think maybe some of that too is probably on the financials of how their, yeah. you know, their stuff was funded. But from a brewer's perspective, it, you know, I have only good things to say. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Although they, t- they were telling me that uh, it's all a bond issue that they are paying back.
1: I'm sure it is. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I, we have, <laughs> yeah. Um. You know, opening one of these is difficult enough. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine what they must have had to go through.
0: You know, Virginia, as a state, has been pretty aggressive about trying to court craft brewers and alter the laws of the state to make it more friendly for craft beer production. Um, it's, it's kind of interesting to see at the state level. And we see that in a few States, you know, um, Cuomo in New York has done the same kind of yeah. thing, the farm beer law, um, you know, that, but especially in trying to, you know, court Deschutes and Stone and others. I mean, Virginia had to go change a lot of things to, to make the state more attractive to those producers and compete against say North Carolina, for sure. um, for, for some of those yeah. larger scale production breweries, but in doing so, It's certainly made life for some of you guys on the smaller scale a little bit easier.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. They, you know, I think Stone actually helped. um, They changed uh, one of the sewer billing uh, rules that they've got for uh, lowering uh, the wastewater treatment um, because they know that the way the chemicals go into the wastewater, um, you know, with mixing acid and caustic together, it neutralizes other chemicals and other phs of water coming from other sources so that was one thing off the bat Mm. that i you know i know they they helped they spearheaded that one um yeah and i just think too that people just are you know a lot more accepting um of what breweries bring to communities and what they bring um and that it's a place where people want to go that um like we're, we're fairly family friendly here yeah um you know it's something that people can go to on the weekends um with their family and not feel like they're uh you know, not supposed to be there. It's not a bar in that yeah. same traditional sense. So, um, yeah, I think it's definitely made it easier.
0: Let's back up and, and talk about those hoppy beers again because, sure. uh, you know, we kind of got sidetracked there. Um, you know, you, you get onto your English strain. You start brewing these hoppy beers that, yeah. uh, that are, are what you want them to be or closer to what you want them to be. And yeah. that they're, you know, expressing those hops in a, in a more, um, you know, full and, and interesting way. Yeah. Um, how... Where'd you go from there? How how did, did word get out? I mean, how, and then, uh, how did demand build for multiple iterations of these kinds of things? It
1: did. Um, you know, we started making, uh, beers such as like our clever girl IPA, um, with, uh, and that was also another big component of this is we were making beers at the time with hops we could get. Um, so our mainstay Falcon smash is heavily based on the Falconers flight hop blend, um, I suspected was, that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's fairly. <laughs> what about that name gives it away? <laughs> yeah, it's fairly obvious. Yeah, um, yeah. And that was the hop, because as soon as we got um, our federal ID number um, to be a actual business, with nothing else, mind you, just that number, Yeah, uh, I called uh, Yakima Chief and bought a pallet of spot hops as fast as we could hmm. with what they had available at the time, because yeah. we could not start contracting. That was right. never going to work. We weren't buying enough. But sure. we were fortunate to get Centennial, Falconer's Flight, a little bit of Wake at the time, hmm. which no one knew about. right? Um, and some Cascade. Um, that was the bulk of it at the time. So, I mean, you know, we pretty much needed to make these hoppy beers with the hops we could get. That just was what it was. So yeah. Citroen Mosaic hadn't come along for us until, um, I guess, about a year or so in. We could mm-hmm. started making beers like Clever Girl and then working those hops into other beers, too. Um, so, yeah, we started with that. And then... Um, as Falcons started to evolve, um, which, I mean, all these beers, are they're always evolving. I think that's a pretty common thing with most of us who are making, you know, a um, couple thousand barrels a year these days. Um, as they evolved, we were able to uh, just tune them in the direction we want them to go with both hop choice um, and when, you know, we add or take away different things, I think. So...
0: Um, Let's talk about that a little bit more. I mean, uh, it, it's always an interesting subject to me and um, you know to balance consumer expectation for consistency. yeah and this is something that the beer industry you know struggles with all the time. Like, yeah. you know balancing that idea of consistency in the brand, versus that process of improvement and iteration you know in the brew house that that you as a creative person you know wanting to realize this vision and and what you what you can taste in your mind yeah um you know it's it's a it's going to be a process for you but somebody buying that with that name on it has a certain expectation for it too for sure um you know how do you balance those two things and those competing drives yeah
1: you know for for us it's more about making sure that the Beers are, you know, the spirit of the beer remains behind. Yeah. I think that's important, um, especially and maybe a closer watch on exactly what the beer is for beers that are more readily available all the time. Um, like for our Falcons Mash IPA, that's the yeah. one beer we produce the most of probably. Right. Um, and the most often. So that said, though, like changing the dry hop on that is always okay on Mm. about 20 to 30% of the dry hop. We'll fool around with that. Really? Yeah. um, There's a lot of experimental varieties that we're able to get now Mm -hmm. and we want to buy small quantities of them. And you know, I get very nervous about committing full batches to anything we're not familiar with yet. Yeah. um, So that it's really nice to be able to work that into a Falcon dry hop and we'll notice a change to some degree, but the overall core of the beer doesn't seem to really change as much as some might think. Mm. at least we haven't heard about that yet. So I'll <laughs> call that a win. But, hey, um, yeah. you know, like those things. I mean,
0: that, that's the the core of hops blending from the very start. Using it is. Using, you know, a broader selection of hops in a combination so that if something happens or, a, you know, a certain crop year yeah. doesn't. Uh, Firestone uh, again. And, right. Isn't consistent. Right. You've There's uh,
1: something nice about having a couple of varieties to lean on. Right. That you can sub in and sub out if something's not right. Because we'll, you know, we'll open bags of things even bags of hops we spent a lot of money on and they are not that great Hmm. and those are not those will go into the whirlpools if we need to or we'll sub um if we're not super pumped about the galaxy we've gotten and that that's totally happened then uh vic secret's not a bad way to go to blend Hmm. in to uh kind of give you some of that south you know that southern hemisphere pineapple yeah um you can't just do it one for one and that's not necessarily the way it works but right It's really nice to be able to be a little bit more flexible given our production style and the way that we're not, you know, totally locked into doing exactly this thing this way. So... I mean, ultimately. What if, does that
0: process look like for sub? I mean, are you, I guess, are you, you know, pulling them out and rubbing, you know, your samples? Are you, you know, yeah. looking at oil levels and concentrations yeah, of different oils? We're unfortunately just math not
1: or? able to, uh, have selection just yet. Okay. Um, we're okay. Working. How many
0: barrels does the brewery produce per year?
1: I think we're going to be at just about 4,500, okay. um, for this year, give or take between, between both. Yeah. Uh, you could probably select at that point. It, we we're we're working on it diligently yeah. to yeah. get that. Um, because that's something that we haven't gotten a chance to do just yet. Right. And I, I think it's on its way. Yeah, um, But right now it's kind of, you know, we kind of, we take what we can get. And our suppliers have been good about if we're not happy with a lot, um, they will sub them out. Mm. Um, so that, that's been good. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's opening the bags up right then and getting an idea about, all right, that lot, if we open a bag and the lot's good, then we can have some faith that the rest of the lot should be pretty good. You know, if we find a lot that we're not happy with, we'll either sub it out or we will uh, definitely whirlpool some of those varieties too.
0: I think that's one of the interesting things and I talked about it on the podcast with uh, Jeremy Myers from Neshaminy Creek and he said the same kind of thing that this, you know, most consumers when they're, you know, buying from small breweries don't necessarily understand the challenge that small breweries face and even procuring the highest quality of some of these hops, um, you know, and that it can be a very expensive and sometimes wasteful, you know, process where, uh, very, where stuff comes in and doesn't get used. And you've, you know, if you've just spent 25 or $30 a pound on some of these hops, like for sure, it has to be heartbreaking.
1: It is. It's really, it's just frustrating. Um, in some ways, I mean, it's an agricultural product. We all understand that. And I think even, Um, beer drinkers understand that too, you know, I think they totally get it, but when you go through the processes to buy these hops and contracts multiple years out, you really do want them to be exactly what you want them to be, Right. you know, at least within a range and they can be really variable. Yeah. Um. So it's just difficult to ensure that you're getting exactly what you want when these things come in, so I think you have to stay on top of it yeah. and not be afraid to make a call either. Just cuz it says right. Amarillo on it doesn't mean it's going to be great.
0: So what do you do in a small brew house like this? I mean, if you're, you know, if you're a large scale stone or Odell or New Belgium yeah. and you have entire groups of employees that, that do materials validation for, for sure for all of your barley, all yeah. of your hops and anything else that's coming yeah. into the brew house, Yep. you know, 4500 barrels, you guys, I mean, material validation has to be a little bit more of a see-your-pants thing. It totally is. Yeah. Well, what for, does that look like for you guys? For
1: us, it's it's tasting silo fills when we get them. Okay. Um, it's also running them through our uh, sieve test to make sure the crush is right. Right. So we're not seeing anything weird. We also do get an analysis sheet from uh, BSG, sure. so we can check in on things there. Right. Um, from the yeast side of things, um, we've got a part-time uh, lab guy who comes in diligently every Monday to Thursday to count cells so we can pitch based on viability and weight. Yeah, um, That really helps out a lot. It also helps us keep our processes in check and our various providers in check to see if, like, our right, viability is holding really well for this. Yeah. But then for this one, it's not. Why is that? And I can actually have information for our, you know, yeast providers have calling them and freaking out. Right. Um, Not that we haven't done that because we have, but (laughs) it's just not helpful. Like if you have a little bit more information, I think it's just always better. Yeah. Um, And then for hops, it's simply opening them up and checking them out. Yeah. And making a call. And it's often, we like to get that sorted out before the dry hops are due on, especially these double IPAs. I think that's, or anything, you know, double dry hopped or anything with a, a bigger rate. I think it's really important to have that ready to go prior. Um, but but which
0: again is a challenge because you also don't want to you know, to open a bag and expose it to oxygen to let it sit around for a few days. Yeah, then dry no, hop with it. Yeah, that, so, no, that bag's toast. Yeah.
1: Um, now, oftentimes that'll make its way into a whirlpool yeah. um, either that day or within the next couple of days, but it won't go. Yeah, uh, back in the tank. That's we still buy everything in eleven pound bags. So you
0: only dry hop with you know freshly opened bags. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: we get everything in elevens that we can, okay. and we pay a premium to do that. Right. We could get everything in forty fours and pay a little bit less, but it's just so much easier when we can say everything's done in eleven pound increments. You open up, they go in. Some of the varieties have we have re- no choice. Written your
0: recipes in order to yeah, be in sure. those multiples. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it's you know we're, we're at twenty. That was part of the beauty about having the twenty barrel system was that it's a pound per barrel you know once you have two 11 11-pound bags give or take hmm. so it works out really really well So we okay. can just <clears throat> excuse we can just set what we want based on uh the poundage there just i just uh, partially open hot bags i just don't yeah, i don't want to. <laughs> uh, yeah i just prefer not to um i'm sure, sure, sure i'm sure it works for a lot of people You're not the only brewer that has that yeah poundage. i just yeah. i just would rather not so some of the australian stuff we don't have a choice it's all like right. a lot of that stuff in 22s okay um but we make that work too it's always rounded yeah. up you know So yeah.
0: Yeah. No, that, uh, it's an interesting point. And I think that, um, you know, I I get to see a lot of brew houses and I see some folks that, uh, handle their hops in a way that I would handle them. And I've seen some that, um, you know, have asked some questions about that. Sure. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, I think I can taste that in an end product. And I assume you Feel that you can taste that in yours too. For sure. Enough to have instituted that kind of policy around
1: it. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, it's just, you know, you you go from, you know, we were getting, when we started, you know, at Fushi, we finally started getting those hops, we were getting them in one pound bags Mm. um, from what essentially was a a homebrew supplier. Right. Um, And that was okay. Um, It it worked for a while, but the variability there would be even, you know, a little bit rougher than it is now. We're getting from you know BSG directly or right. um you know YCH directly and Willamette Valley directly. So it's it's a little bit different for us now.
0: Sure. You know, and there's big questions like, you know, especially when you're buying from somebody that's buying a bale or buying, you know, forty four pound and then subdividing it, like are they nitro flushing it? it? You know, Correct. or is there oxygen in that package and right. and you know, is that gonna cause some degradation of that hop? Yeah. Um, how they're packaged really can matter with these things. It, it
1: does for sure. And that's another reason why we like to go with multiple suppliers for even the same hops. Mm. Um, it gives us the opportunity to, I mean, you'll get variable lots of citra from a different supplier, from different suppliers that sure, one's pineapple and one's dank and one's super mangoy, you know, and then you can blend them all together to get the best of all the worlds rather mm. than worry about one for one. You know, that's, that's something we've done when we can um, for, for different beers and it kind of just lends, especially when it's a single hop beer, that lends a lot of uh, roundness to that hop character. Especially yeah. when you're counting on that varietal to be a certain thing. So. It's an
0: interesting one to uh, yeah. you know, combine different lots of the same hop. To yeah, you know, you're you're doing your own blending. About yeah,
1: it. we're we're totally not the only oh. ones to do it, I'm sure. But yeah. it does, uh, and you know, other brewers, uh, I'm sure that you know, you open these bags of the same hop and they don't smell the same. Yeah, and it's also difficult too to know you're kind of shooting for a target post. When they go in and have now given their character to the beer, yeah. At a given time in that process for that beer, as you're smelling them when they haven't done that yet, like right. you're you're shooting for a target that's way further away when you open the bag and smell them. Yeah, you know, it's like oh, it smells great in the bag, but we know that you know certain varietals will do different things at different points. It, it just it kind of gets a little bit tricky when you expect you know mosaic to smell like this right now when you tear it open, and knowing that you're going to use it in you know, a late fermentation dry hop or yeah. even, you know, post fermentation dry hop.
0: What are what are some of those, you know, changes in the the hops or with with any specific variety? Yeah, it just seems I'm curious like curious about that. I mean, yeah. you know, and this is something that I think all brewers have to deal with. You know, you're yeah. you know, you're, you're envisioning a beer, but the way it even tastes straight off the tank even after the dry hop mm-hmm. is different than how it tastes packaged a month out. And, yeah, and uh, and, I,
1: and I, I think it's wholly based on um Every, you know, as far as what where the beer is in, the, in its current state when you decide to make that dry hop, obviously, and mm-hmm. it's yeast driven, it's probably, probably pH driven too, yeah, uh, to some degree. But like, you know, with mosaic, for example, I find that like if you open a bag and you're getting some diesel early on and some of that big hit of evergreen, yeah, that tends to like on a mid fermentation dry hop, a lot of that just gets either driven off hmm. or you get a little bit more of that deeper blueberry and grapefruit resin, right, instead of just straight. Pine, you know, and and some of that diesel character that can be, yeah. Um, Not that we don't love that too, because we do. Yeah. um, But that hop specifically seems to do that, yeah, um, a little bit more than some of the others do. You know, on the mid fermentation dry hop, a lot of these they just seem to get a little bit rounder. Mm -hmm. Um, You might lose some of the punch that they're going to deliver because there's still a lot of activity going on. Yeah. Um, I think there's some truth to that for sure. Okay. Um, Of course, it's hard to know what's true in mid fermentation dry hopping. I don't (laughs) think anyone's got a full handle on it yet, but. It's a lot of science to be done. Um, I think so. Yeah, but I think you know brewers are feeling their way through it all, and everyone's got their own way of doing it. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think some of those varieties tend to just change a little bit um, versus just sending them in on you know when the fermentation's totally done.
0: It's an interesting one because you know from a commercial perspective, you also you know tend to on your on your beer labels uh, and, and descriptions of your beers you know talk about those specific hops because there is a consumer expectation and, and you know consumers that. That have now have developed a knowledge of the hops that they like, and if yeah. they, they like certain hops combinations, and yeah. if you see, oh, Citra and Galaxy, like, oh, I know that beer is going to be great because I yeah. love Citra and Galaxy for or, sure. I know it's got Nelson Sauvin. Eh, you know, you I don't love lo- I love Nelson Sauvin, yeah. but some people it can turn don't. people off. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and and so those hop names have become this shorthand that some consumers now use to yeah. make some you know uh, decisions about beers. Yeah. But it's a weird thing when you go back to this idea that you just raised that um, that's less predictable than certain folks might want to believe it is in terms of describing what those things actually taste like.
1: I think so. I mean, I think there's, you know, I've had citra beers from us and many other people and they can be wildly different despite using probably, probably similar processes and even yeast strains sometimes. Yeah. Um, And then it begs you, it begs the question a lot of times, like, why? What is that? Is that? Are they getting a different citrus, you know, crop than we are? Are they yeah. getting, you know, like when are they dry hopping? What temp are they at? Like, how does that all come to play? And then, and then, post, uh, you know, packaging handling too, like, or pre-packaging handling, like, what's do like is a little bit of oxidation doing other things to some of these beers that's not fully detrimental immediately? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's just hard to know sometimes exactly where that stuff's going to end up. Yeah. You know,
0: what, uh, you know, speaking of dry hopping, you know, process, what does yeah. yours look like?
1: Depends on the beer. Okay. Um, but oftentimes um, if we're going to do a late fermentation dry hop, it's pretty standard for what I think everyone else is probably doing. Um, just about at the tail standard
0: end. with what everyone else is doing. That's yeah. I, I interesting don't think way of putting we're not it.
1: going super early. Okay, um, We're looking for, I mean, maybe like a full degree play above finishing gravity. Okay. Um, and in they go. And you know, everyone's in the tank at that time, mm-hmm. um, all kids in the pool, and then uh, usually just that'll be open the top of the
0: tank, drop them in, yeah, just open. send them in. Yep, okay. um, let no it rip. bags, yeah, no, no, recirculation. no bags. No nope, circulation, no, they're just drowsing at all. No, we just okay. let them go. Hmm.
1: Okay. Um, once they're in, um, and that normally is the similar blend of what's going to see on the second dry hop. Yeah, um, we tend to stick to that. Um, we've done um, temperature temperature we're normally right at uh free rise so we'll be somewhere around 68 to 72 depending on yeah. how big the beer is at that time okay um so they'll go in we'll let those go for three to four days depending um we'll then um drop those out of the bottom of the tank keeping the temp the same drop those out of the bottom of the tank and then we'll re-dry hop again um with the same varietals usually we'll go another i don't know twice over give or take depending on yeah. how big we want to go for them and, and also dependent too on so you are double dry hopping well <laughs> that's a sticky question um yeah i we're definitely on on double ipa where it's almost yeah. always two yeah so okay. yes definitely um and for our triangle series beers uh, which are ipas at six percent mm-hmm. those are getting two separate dry hops also yeah. um so yeah and then it'd also be dependent on two on for whatever reason, we have a we get really um, really great character out of most of the mosaic that we get mm. um, that we find that we can we don't have to dry hop those necessarily as much as other hop varietals do like mm. and I I don't think it's a big secret but like Cascade is not going to show up at a pound per barrel right. in the same way that like mosaic will yeah um, so we do take some of those things into consideration too if we don't want to favor one over the other um, and that'll change from you know uh, batch to batch if we're brewing the same beer again which we don't brew these beers every week, right? You know, they're they're far enough away from the last one that like, we're trying to do our best to replicate it, give it the soul of what that beer previously was. Um, Because we have so many different like double IPA brands and IPA brands that we rotate them back out. And by the time we come back around to them, it's been months since we brewed that again.
0: Are the, the recipes for these beers generally consistent with uh, the variable only being hops that's changing out? Or uh, do you have some some different approaches to, to you know, grist or you no, know, the, yeast handling the on the
1: grist is almost always the same. Okay. Um, we, we'll adjust how much malted wheat to two-row uh, just to do that. We'll throw in some flake stuff from time to time, but it's not. It's more for us to be able to see what that does. Mm-hmm. To the finished beer. And small percentages? Really small percentages, like 5%. Okay. um, Give or take. Um, We'll do um, yeast pitch rate changes too, just to see what we think that does. Yeah. Um, We're also fooling around with. What have you found on that? um, Nothing conclusive yet, to be honest. Um, uh, You know, on smaller beers, we tend to pitch a little bit less, right around the 0.75 to 0.85 million cells per mil range. Mm -hmm. Um, On some of the bigger beers, we like to do the traditional, a little bit closer to one um we're fooling around with uh, dissolved oxygen in wort on its way to the tank mm-hmm. um that's super inconclusive right now we just started that process we got a do meter just separate for that okay um so we're just starting to play around with that idea now adjusting how much oxygen the wort gets um mm-hmm. and trying to make that consistent hmm. um to see if we can you know um, eliminate some variability there um so yeah otherwise they're, they're be- the double IPAs and an ipa they're pretty much a blueprint as the work goes into the tank in many, many ways. Yeah. Um, It's hop choice, hop varietal, uh, the sourcing side of things that really tends to uh, show the biggest changes at this point. Um, So, yeah.
0: Interesting. Um, In terms of hops combinations. Yeah. What are, what are some of your favorites? Uh, I mean, they're, they're classics and uh, you know, yeah,
1: right now, mosaic and falconers flight. There's something about that, that I, I kind of, I don't know. I can't explain it because it really.
0: And Falconer's flight is itself a blend. It
1: is, and it changes every year. Yeah. Um, they don't tell you what they change it to, but it's a blend of most of the SeaHops plus some experimentals. Yeah. Um, that you know either did work or probably didn't work for them. Um, but they you know they work those into the blend. And mm-hmm. as a blend goes, it's always been really consistently great for us. Like we've never had hmm. any. Excuse me. I've never had an issue with you know wanting to get rid of any of that. Yeah. Um. So. That, for whatever reason, Mosaic and Falconer seem to really play well together. Um, That's a favorite. Um, We've got a beer out right now called The Grid that features those two solely. Um, And then, uh, really, when we can get good Columbus, um, Citra Columbus is also another personal favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a Green Dreams uh, uh, double IPA that we do that's kind of a rotating hop varietal beer. So the brand stays the same but it's a constant change of what those hot varieties are and I normally pick two. Um and um we're getting back to the Firestone Inspiration here yeah, again, aren't a, a we? Yeah, a little kind bit, of, yeah. Sounds a lot like Luponic distortion Yeah. To the, uh, um yeah, I think that did I think Green Dream's might have come out first. Oh, I'm not sure. Oh. I'm not sure. That's fine. <laughs> I'll deflect. I, I'm sure they did it before we no, did. No, no, yeah, no. um but you know, my guys um I've got um five uh, five brewers back there who they'll come up with ideas for different hop combinations for yeah. those. And they'll, we'll go over how much we want to favor this to that, depending on uh, what we want to find. But Citra Columbus is something that came out of that, that we're, it seems pretty obvious mm-hmm. um, given how old they both are now, but there's something about the uh, super overripe mango and then dank pine, grapefruit peel that seemed to come yeah. together really nice. Cause dank is not something we'll, we'll shy away from. Um, Columbus is also just a, um, I just love that hop. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of uh Early on what was that beer from um, DC Brow. It's a hundred percent Columbus IPA. I thought that was really uh, ballsy of them. Uh, Corruption, I think, hmm. um, was a hundred percent Columbus. Yeah, um, I think that can uh, definitely work sometimes. But I just I love lending that hop in.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, in order to highlight, uh, you know, these kind of hop flavors, some a uh, little bit of residual, you know, sugar in that beer tends to help make them pop. What's what are yeah. your goals for you know final gravity on the beers?
1: Um, for IPA, I really like three and a half to four, mm. give or take. Um, double IPA. Um, we fought this for a long time. We fought this for a long time, and we'll be somewhere right around four five to four eight, maybe even five five mm. two. Um. And I, when you say "fought it, what does that yeah, mean? Yeah, it just in my head, I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. Yeah, it drove me nuts. In but then theory, I, it, but then I would taste them, and I would go, "Well, they're great." Like I've, I'm, I'm very, ha- like I'm happy with it. Yeah, like they, they sound sweet on paper, but then you have them, and they just don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. They feel plush. They feel full. Um, you know, they just they feel delicate. They don't have, um a dryness or bitterness to them that, you know, no matter what the final gravity and the hydrometer was saying, you know, our, our palates and minds are telling us that this is what we want them to be. So, um, kind of have just let that be what it is. Um, and you know, it's also, you know, we've done forced ferment tests with this with our yeast strain and that's just where we get, yeah. you know, so if we want to change up yeast character, which we've experimented and even over Mm -hmm. here at our production site with 40 barrel tanks, we fooled around with other yeast strains, we just keep coming back to it, which is also great validation for the fact that that should be the strain we use for a lot of these beers, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but we also like playing around too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeast is a huge, huge flavor component. I think for what these beers are, I think they're really yeast forward. Yeah. Um, more so than I used to think they probably were. Um, so I, I, you know, I think it's great to play around with them, but it's also nice to be able to validate what you are using already. So, um, do you
0: have uh, you know specific IBU goals in mind for these two? Because I mean, IBUs are the other thing that can kind of counteract that perception yeah, of sweetness. Um,
1: pretty low for everything. Yeah, um, there, there's not much. Are above. you doing any
0: initial bittering charges or bitter no, charges in, in, no. on the hot side? It's all whirlpool. Everything's red? in the whirlpool.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um, no, everything's in the whirlpool for these guys. Yeah. and um, it's whatever's uh, smelling great at that time. Okay. Um, we're also not.
0: What kind of temperatures are you pulling at?
1: Full on. As soon as the boils are okay. off, they're, they're going in. Yeah. We don't do the, um, the recirc thing to get them cold. Yeah. Not that I'm against it. We just don't have right. the, the setup to do it. And I've, I've heard from a lot of other guys that make really great hoppy beer that they've trialed it and they haven't found a bunch of luck with it. So I've mm. kind of moved on from it. Okay. Um,
0: it was interesting when I was talking to Andy from Great Notion that they they use that whirlpool temperature as their bittering control you know and if they yeah. want it you know if they wanted more bitter then they Whirlpool at a higher temperature. And they, they, they yeah. get
1: more hops in the tank based on that. Right. Yeah. So that was
0: yeah. an interesting strategy. I didn't know how, how you guys manage that on a whirlpool. We keep side. our uh, our whirlpool charges. hops volume then. Yeah. And
1: it's also a really small charge too. Okay. Um, we'll be, you know, right at a pound per barrel on most of these mm. beers. It's not much. Yeah. Um, and then we'll take that pound, the extra pound or two per barrel you might see in a whirlpool, and we'll move it to the dry hop mm. um, when we're still keeping roughly the same amount of wort in the tank. Yeah. So it's just a nice, uh, trade off um to not have to sweat you know going that other route of like lowering our tank to or lowering the whirlpool temperature and then then sending hops in so it's you know it's also um it's also another tool we use to help evaluate some of these dry hops yeah so if you know it's if something's not smelling super great for dry hopping it can go into the whirlpool on almost any given beer i mean it'll it'll go into a falcon batch when the previous batch didn't get that same whirlpool hop
0: what um, you know, one of the other things that a, a small brewery like like you all have to you know work through and build processes around is is finding ways to work customer feedback into your brewing process. Um, how do you gauge or judge what? consumers are liking what hops combinations they might like and you know be more interested in buying um you know do you have kind of informational systems that allow you to see how fast stuff is moving or do you look at say online reviews and yeah feedback there uh how do you figure out like okay this is what people really really like from us and we've we've yeah because what your consumers like may be different than what you like
1: yeah i think for us it's um you know, it's also you know we check case counts every day. Yeah, um, that's super helpful because we can just walk in there and take a look. Um, that plus, I mean, I, always the online reviews you have to you have to yeah. watch that stuff too. That's important. You don't have to. But. You, you, yeah, <laughs> I think almost everyone probably has to in some way. Yeah. Um, I know we do. You know, so yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we we just look check
0: at, them before you've
1: started having your first beer of the day. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, uh, there's at least one guy, um, on the team who probably looks at them a little bit more than he should. And he's going to laugh when he hears this. Yeah. Um, and it, you know, it can, uh, it can either be really great or it cannot be sure. You know, sure. there's usually no middle ground there. Um, yeah. so we look at that stuff too. Um, and then we'll get feedback too, from just the social media side of things of like, you can tell when certain hop combos or certain brands resonate with people and they really, really like them. Yeah. Uh, interstellar burst is a big one for us that people, um, seem to have gravitated to oh,
0: uh, what's that that
1: combination um that is galaxy Vic secret eldorado if i can mm. remember it right don't okay. quote me on that one i have to look there's
0: someone's going to check it on untapped oh, for sure see. that's not yeah, what the description I'm, is i'm sure that's i'm fine. wrong um, they can fact check it <laughs> yeah
1: um <laughs> that one is uh that was a that was a very uh hard-hitting brand for us that, were, that did okay. really well and people and we've brewed it we've only brewed it twice i think and both at times it's done really well so we see things like that and then we'll work those beers back in the rotation for sure yeah um but it's also, some of that, you know, is important. We want people to have what they want, obviously. But then, right. you know, a lot of it, too, is we're we're making a ton of hoppy beer. It's not a super difficult thing to get people to get behind. Yeah. You know? Um, and it's also, for us, it's it's just a constant evaluation of both process and our ingredient choices. So it's really nice to be able to let that beer sit for a little bit mm-hmm. as far as the idea goes and come back to it in like a month or two. Because we thought we'd have like a year-round core double IPA. Yeah. We thought Nectar and Knife would be that. And it was the first time we'd ever gotten enough Simcoe and Mosaic to make anything. And that's what we went with. And that beer hasn't changed. It's been Simcoe and Mosaic since the yeah. beginning. But we thought that would be like our year-round double IPA. We'd always have that available at least a couple times a month. And that's never been true. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah, There's yeah. too many other fun things to get to. And now that we've gotten a little bit um, – bigger in our, our you know brewing size and we have some hot providers you know getting us like we're this is the first year we've ever been offered nelson so on any l- large scale so yeah. we can actually make like a double ipa over here with it so we're bringing the proposition back which was a brand we brewed really early fushi days we can get yeah. a little bit of nelson and galaxy so we're able to brew that here now so there's yeah. all these hot varieties and they're constantly like you know the cryo pellet thing mm-hmm. um the cryo powder like and the extract stuff, like there's so many products to try, that wanting to constantly rotate out these brands is something we kind of want to do. Yeah, um, I think maybe once we get to where we have a core like stable of of ones we're very happy with, we're starting to revisit those a little bit more, but. There's still a lot of experimentation. That there. that is like a, the
0: challenge that small breweries face, you know. And uh, you know, I was talking to, to Joe Morfeld of Pint House Pizza about this for a brewing Industry guide story, and you know, he talked about how you know there's there's so many different hops varieties that he has you know, access to, but he you know pared it down to six because when he pared it down to six, you know, they were producing 3,500 barrels this year. Um, he could select. Yeah. And and so you know for him you know he almost like a a painter saying I'm only going to use these six pigments, um and I'm going to have to find creative ways to mix that into something else. You know there was a benefit of of kind of doing that. And so for sure, you know, as you're talking about this, I, I get what you're saying. Like you've got all these these options, but at the same time you also have to, you know have you know take a discipline and an economy towards this. For sure, and say. I There are some things I am going to try and some things I'm not going to try.
1: Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's hard to turn down something cool and new. Yeah, uh, we just got yeah. – uh, a provider reached out to us the other day about um, – I think it's a new hop. Um, I don't even think it's got a name yet. I think it's got one of the numbers attached yeah. to it. And they're like, can we put you down for a 44-pound box? And well, I, I can't say no. I'm, yeah, sure, I want to try sure. it. Let's yeah, see what's yeah. what with it. And even if – you know, it's obviously not enough to make a, a batch at our production site, but like, you right. know, Fushi Street, Seven Barrels, like we can play with that. And that's what that's become a lot of too, Yeah, is a place to do things like that. And if, you know, we're not happy with it, it's not the end of the world to send Seven Barrels down the drain. Sure. It really isn't. Sure. Now that we are fortunate enough to have, um, you know, this other production site to where that's not our everything anymore. Yeah. Um, we can take a risk over there and not worry about it. But right. it is difficult to... We'll factor those things into beers you know already work, you know, or like brands that already are kind of set in what the varietals are, and then to try and throw another variable in on top of them with a new like hop product or new variety, it just it can get a little iffy. So it is a delicate balance. Also, to, I also want to constantly, you know, seek out new things that are interesting because at the end of the day, a lot of these beers are they're super hop forward, you know, they're really big, they're expressive and i think to keep it interesting you kind of need some character changes once in a while yeah you know so
0: let's talk a little bit about um the the richmond and northern virginia you know beer scene uh, you all in an interesting way over the last 2 years with you know between triple crossing and the the answer and the veil vale, and then a little bit further north folks like aslin uh, up in herndon virginia um this Culture of of kind of you know pushing each other and uh, you know and uh, putting out can releases that are attracting you know lines and interest from consumers um, you know it has it's become a thing here when it wasn't a thing like that you know two years before, you know, ago um, how much does that and, and I'll call it competition but it's also but it's friendly competition yeah. and challenging each other. And, you know, being able to then, you know, uh, I, I almost equate this, you know, to use an art metaphor to artists painting in a, in a similar school of painting who are inspiring each other, but also putting their own spin on things, but also seeing new options that are, that arise because they're also consuming the work of, of, you know, their contemporaries. Um, but what that does is, you know, create an interesting movement, um, you know, where artists can respond to artists and push things forward in a way Um, this has to be a an interesting place for all of you as significant brands that now have you know some national notoriety and some folks trading for them around the country to some degree yeah Uh, you know how does that uh, uh impact how you brew and how you know what you brew impacts some of your peers here
1: yeah, I mean, I know from, like, you know, for our perspective, like, the beauty about having the space that we do over here, um, you know, at Fulton, it lets us – we don't really have to say no to anything that we want to try. Um, over there, it was, you know, it's ale only, like, fairly quick fermentations to turn yeah. the tanks over to get beers back on for – you know, and it just became right. – there was there are other things I wanted to try, like, you know, um, barrel fermented, you know, mixed culture beer, um, you know, a Solera program that we've got now with the fooders that we have. Um, you know, this is our first four in a bourbon barrel aging over here. Um, you know, we got some in last January and it's just resting now. And so we're we get to, you know, we've got we put a cool ship in um, for the first season last year and brewed a couple of batches. Um, how'd those go? Uh, yeah. Um, just to <laughs> <You> know, t- <laughs> t- tell me in a year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who knows? It went, yeah. it went well from, uh, from what we can tell early on, but yeah. we'll see. Um, those right. things are, you know, and, and I guess what my point is, the beauty of all that stuff is, is, is it doesn't show up anywhere on like, this has to happen now. This has to turn over. You know, like we have to make this work that yeah. those things are projects that if they never see the light of day, it's not going to really affect the rest of it because, we are able to offer those can releases and, 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 you know, get some notoriety behind those beers. Um, So for us, it's I I just I want us to be a well-rounded brewery um, with still a focus on a couple of core things. But I want to do those things really, really well. Um, And given, you know, some of the space constraints, I think some other guys have that that's a little bit tougher for them. Um, We're just really fortunate here. So we can do those things. Um, I also want to offer like the on-site experience of what we have here versus what some of probably the other guys do. Like we've got a full on pizza kitchen out there yeah, cranking out um, really great pizzas every day. Um, that's a little bit different I think than a lot of the other tasting rooms in the state. Yeah, um, It's not super uncommon elsewhere but I think in the state it, it probably is. Um, so I think for us being able to offer um, mixed culture barrel fermented beers. Um, regularly and then um, our lager program has been picking up um, and that's full of experimentation right now we're not canning a ton of that right now unless we're super happy with something um so there's um those styles you're seeing we're seeing a lot of those right now and they're and people are really really taking to those and i think that's true probably across the country right now yeah um and we're able to put some attention to those um especially with uh on the small batch side over at fushi because we can let those things sit because that place no longer has to turn and and yeah. you know like it once did.
0: How do you balance that? You know, I mean, what you're talking about now is as a brewer being able to explore some creative projects that you didn't have the bandwidth or the tank space yeah for before, um, you know. But but regardless, I mean, this brewing is still a business. You know, for it's sure. it's not a. Uh, I mean, if you wanted to brew whatever you want to brew, you just stay as a home remain a home. Brewer. <laughs>
1: it's the easiest way to do it, right? right? You yeah. know, and just you know
0: go go for that way, yeah. right? Um, you know, but, but if you launch business, well, you have to sell that product. You do.
1: Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we got really lucky with what we want to make on the hoppy beer side is what's doing, you know, is what's selling the best, I think yeah. for everybody right now. Like that's, um, that's always been true for us. Luckily, if people don't like hoppy beer tomorrow, we're going to be in some hot water. I can, <laughs> I can definitely tell you that, but um it's it's just a lot less um dedicated to the production of those beers yeah of the other styles you know the mixed firm beers and the lagers there's just we can't make as much of those because it just doesn't make sense for us to make a bunch of it right now. right and you know there's something really nice too about having those beers stay smaller side projects that we can validate the results of them in-house in the tasting room yeah you know that's a really nice feature of those things right now um we're we're constantly experimenting with those styles and chipping away at them the same way we've done and are still doing with hoppy beers. We just, you know, we focused on those way more initially to start with because we yeah. simply needed to. Sure. You know, so, um, but it's been really nice to be over here and to be able to start some of that stuff and then actually have and put people in place that are already on the team to dedicate some of their resources and time towards that to let other people take some of the creative control yeah um over over what we're doing and have it be a little bit more of a collaborative team effort too
0: how's the consumer response you know how do they take to things like your you know, like a pilsner or uh your farmhouse it's
1: uh, been really good i mean they, sorry not your farmhouse but your warehouse uh, yeah, our, yeah our, our warehouse sale yeah it's um it's been it's been really great honestly um yeah. those beers like on site they just do really 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 well i think it's nice that you know if you're coming from out of town And you want to come see us for hoppy beers? That's great. It's awesome. That's why they're here, and we're focused heavily on that for sure. The draft list will dictate that pretty much every day. But if you're local, you know, and you come in here as one of the the places you stop in on a weekend, maybe you don't. Maybe you want a four ounce pour of the latest one to check it out. But maybe if you're sitting here hanging out with friends and having pizza, maybe you just want pills, you know. And that's where the magic of those beers. Same thing goes for our mixed culture beers and the uh, the warehouse ale. That that thing comes into play with people who want to hang out here for a little while because we do focus um even though they're double ipa we keep pretty much everything at eight percent for those um and our ipas are generally at six um those are just two abvs that i really really like a lot for uh you know consumption
0: yeah what's uh what's next for triple crossing you've you've moved from a brew pub you've you opened this production facility um you know you've ramped up production you've got a you know wonderful hip modern cool tap room with a (laughs) pizza pizza kitchen out there yeah um you know you've got a nice hospitality side of this business you've got a production side of this business you you know you produce beer that you're sending out on draft in the market you do limited can sales three times a month that people line up for and uh um, you know, but, but where do you see this going and what would, where, what are your ultimate goals for the business?
1: I mean, the ultimate goals, you know, for me to to be doing this for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, we have, um, we added two tanks this year, a 60 and a 40, and there's no plans to add any more right now. Um, the demand for our draft beer around town is still pretty high. And I, I don't think, you know, we can't really meet that yet. And I don't know that we ever really will be able to. Um, and that's kind of, um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. Like we like to take care of our retail partners for sure, but that's not the end of of, of it, you know. Um, I want to do this. Do you for,
0: guys have a ratio around that? Like you know, a certain amount that goes out, and certain amount that stays here. Yeah, it's probably thirty five
1: to forty percent
0: that goes out
1: okay. across the board. Um, but most of it is definitely on site, mm-hmm. um, whether it's cans or draft. Um, and then just cons- now, you
0: c- could brew more than that.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, we've got room in this place to. So you add.
0: choose not to. to- yeah to kind of keep it at this that kind of ratio yeah
1: it's just a really nice manageable size right now okay. um you know we're also really focused on the on-site side of things okay um, and how well that goes and the the total control um you know we just really Do you guys
0: have outside investors with expectations for this business or... no okay. we
1: don't we've got outside investors but they're pretty great about their expectations oh. and that we really don't hear too much from them yeah um They know, um, you know, they, I guess they put some confidence in us early on to make sure that we're doing the right things and they've seen it grow from, from what, to what it is now. So, um, you know, uh, from those, from that standpoint, no, um, Hmm. we're just really fortunate right now to be in a position where we can make enough beer to make this thing viable. Yeah. Um, also have most of the control still and where it ends up and, um, be able to make payroll it's kind of nice right now (laughs) um so you know we just always a good thing it is yeah we just put the canning line in this year so that was our last really huge thing i think for a little while um but i just want to focus a lot more of our efforts on um you know repeatability and a little bit more of the science and technology side of the brewing process than maybe we had before um like i was saying earlier about our our lab guy he's kind of the first step into that Um, and just doing a lot more of that, especially with the canning line now and needing to make sure that the DO levels are where they need to be for the longevity of the cans and um, seam checks and all of those different things that go into it. So that's kind of where I see us going is just constantly refining and dialing in. I mean, we're never all, you know, I'm never like, it's never enough. You know, it can can always be better. It should always be better. It's a constant pursuit of that. And that's the one, that's probably the most, that's the thing that keeps me going the most is that I will always expect them to be a certain thing and I want to eventually get there, but probably never will. Never being satisfied is a, uh,
0: it's actually a strangely fantastic
1: place to be in this business. It is. Yeah. And I I think that we're really lucky to have had, you know, the support we've gotten to get here from people who show up, people come from all over, all over the place and that's you know, there's a a lot of breweries around that, that get that kind of support, and for us to get that too has been has uh, been pretty great.
0: Well, cheers, Jeremy Wordis, Triple Crossing Beer.
1: Uh, if people want to learn more about your brewery, where
0: can they find you on the internet?
1: They can go right to triplecrossing.com. Um, they can also check us out on Instagram, and
0: you have some pretty attractive pictures there on Instagram
1: too. Yeah, um, Scott Jones, uh, one of my business partners of two. That is uh, that's his realm. Um, yeah, he puts a lot of time into those things. It does a good job of them.
0: Yeah, nice. Well, thanks for talking with me on the podcast, uh, Jeremy. Cheers! I'm going to drink some of your beer, and uh, uh, before I get out of here, and we're going to have a, a story in uh, Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, a breakout brewer story on Triple Crossing uh, that you can read soon. All of you out there there in podcast land. Uh if you don't subscribe to the magazine currently and you should if you are listening to this. Uh just to uh, hop over to beerandbrewing.com right now and click on the subscribe button and solve that problem really quickly. Um uh you can find us on uh, social media at craftbeerbrew if uh, you need to, you know, send me hate mail, you can do so at uh, Bogner, j b o g n e r at beerandbrewing.com. Thanks so much for uh, hosting us here in Richmond, Jeremy.
1: Cheers. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com. Or find us on social media at craftbeerbrew.